Welcome to the Event Tech Podcast, where we explore the ever-evolving world of event technology every week. This show is brought to you by Endless Events, the event management company on the cutting edge of trends. Now, let's talk tech. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of the Event Tech Podcast. I'm so excited to be sitting across virtually recording with the skinny Brant Kruger of Event Technology Consulting. And that gentleman over there is the zealous Will Curran of Endless Events. Ooh, zealous. I like it. He has good adjectives today. Um, the the, the diet skinny. that you've been working on has, sure. a, yeah, has been yeah. working real well, you know? <laughs> um, so today we got a, an awesome topic ahead of us. We'll jump right on in with it, everyone, is that we actually got a question from um, one of our listeners out there. Uh, Kayla Walker asked us the question of, you know, when it comes to these virtual uh, events, how do you connect with an audience at an event who's catered to low-income families or individuals who may not have Wi-Fi during the pandemic? Um, so I think this uh, the, this raised a really cool kind of topic for us to talk about, which is like, you know, everyone's pushing forward with virtual and all these metaverse and technologies. And how do we not leave people behind who might not necessarily have access to those things when, to some of us, high-speed internet might be a commonplace? So... It's easy to forget sometimes, you know, especially when you're stewed in the technology as you and I are, that it's it's good to be reminded uh, sometimes that, uh, you know, it's not as ubiquitous as many of us think it is. And, you know, this even goes back to, um, you know, in, in the early days of event apps, you know, as you know, people were like, ah, you know, you, you can take my binder from my cold dead hands kind of thing, because there was a lot of trepidation about, you know, ubiquitous Wi-Fi, you know, having Wi-Fi everywhere mm -hmm. in your venues, um, you know, even 10 years ago wasn't even nearly as common as it is now. But then, you know, when you're dealing with a remote audience, um, you're pushing all of that infrastructure onto their end. So it's not, not only are we not talking about whether or not a venue has good quality Wi-Fi speed, we're talking about the individual uh, uh, bandwidth connections of the each of an individual attendee. It's what we call the last mile. It's that last mile between mm -hmm. you know the fiber optics of the uh, the telecoms and the actual people's houses and homes in the world, and. Even, you know, it's just something we're struggling with here in the U.S. It's struggling, you know, with all over the world. In, in many interesting ways, um, some of the developing nations in the world are, are leapfrogging ahead of some of the, the uh, you know, the, the folks that have had uh, Internet and Wi-Fi and things like that um, for a lot longer because they just went straight to wireless. You know, mm -hmm. that, that they're, you know, they're, they skipped right over, you know, DSL <laughs> and cable and all of that kind of stuff and went straight to wireless. So it's, it's an interesting question, uh, Kayla, that there's not a g g good answer to, you know, because when you're dealing with, you know, as we, as we joke all the time, uh, with Brandt, uh, Brandt's drinking game of know your stakeholders, uh, know your goals and objectives, and it depends. This is this is clearly in the in the department of know your stakeholders, mm -hmm. and if you're catering to an audience where access to the internet may be difficult, then it really is hard to 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 move on and have a a digital event in that in that arena. 
hundred percent. Yeah, I think that like you bring up such a good point. I mean, like the the quick and easy answer is if you're on, you know your audience and your audience your audience is full of these you know individuals or families that can't afford to attend an event because they don't have fast internet. The simple answer is don't do a virtual event and do it in person. Right. You know, and and then the question becomes though. Okay, well, I need to reach an audience. They also don't have access to transportation, or they, they, you know, my event needs to be national or international, all happening at the same time. And you know, I think it raises these good questions. But like knowing your audience really, really well, like just because the hot trend is virtual hybrid, you know, because the hot trend is to you know make sure that you have you know this and this and that, you don't have to follow the trends too. Trends are really there for if you, once you've kind of like mastered the basics of knowing your audience. I think in a lot of ways. So you know the 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 cop out answer is is don't <laughs> you know but we you know, and but thanks we everyone I, yeah yeah thanks so thanks everybody for tuning in and we'll see you next time on Event Tech Podcast but you know but to 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 her point of uh, you know during a pandemic obviously we can't and so so mm-hmm. let's try and work our way around this as best we can um, I can offer some examples. Uh, from uh, our uh, suburb. So I'm in a first-ring suburb outside of Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's a very working-class neighborhood. Um, Lots of folks from all levels of income, um, but a fair amount of low-income folks. And so the schools really struggled with exactly this. You know, so how – we're shutting down the schools. How do we make sure that everybody who needs access has access and and I don't know if any of these will will help you know in in your question, but you know maybe some of these ideas will you know spark other ideas and, and if, if any of this is possible. But so the, so the, our district, our school district, dealt with it in a couple of different ways. So one, um, they uh, even though the school day itself wasn't open uh, to uh, to having the kids there when we were in lockdown, um, uh, they would still within guidelines, you know, that were out there. Because, you know, we've had limitations based on the number of people that can be in Mm -hmm. any one location, uh, social distancing, you know, all of the things that, you know, we as event folks have been dealing with for the last two years. They would then open up the gym from certain number of hours and only allow a certain number of people. So if you had to, uh, you know, need if you needed Wi-Fi access or something like that, you could could still come to the gym and be Mm -hmm. within social distancing and masked and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so that was one option. So it's like a hub, a hub model a hub. essentially, like yep. that. You allowed people to basically come and utilize the Wi-Fi um, on there too, or maybe even provide them some level of AV too. Exactly. So, so one possibility would be to try and find, uh, you know, I don't know if if your attendees again, you know, know your attendees, know your stakeholders. You know, if your attendees are all in one city. Uh, or if you, you know, how granular you can get with knowing where they're at, you might be able to look into public libraries. How's that? uh, That's what as, I was thinking exactly. Public yep, libraries. You know, so again, they had restrictions on how many people could be in there. You know, but for the most part, have been open for the last two years. You know, there was lockdowns. You know, at the beginning where we were really truly really and truly locked down shelter in place type mm-hmm. stuff. But, you know, for the most part, they've been open and uh, had the ability to just have social distancing and mask guidance and those things like that. So so there's another hub possibility. The other thing that the district did is they, they took the bus fleet and they would drive them out in the morning. And this helped keep, helped keep people employed, mm-hmm. too, is they would take the bus drivers and rather than saying, well, we don't have any kids, so see ya um, – they would have the bus drivers drive the buses out strategically around the city, 
you know, it's not that big of a, you know, it's a, it's a suburb, so it's not gigantic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at strategic intersections and areas around the city, they would actually drive the buses and have hotspots. So mm-hmm. especially other, other neighborhood gathering areas, uh, like community senators and things like that, they actually would, would send uh, the buses out and have hotspots on the buses. And then in addition to all of that, um, anybody who wanted one uh, could apply to have a, um, a hotspot sent to them. You know, oh. so it was on the schools. You know, there were some limitations. Like I think it was only active during the day. Uh, you know, from this time to this time. You know, so it was you know almost like corporate restrictions. You know, they used mm-hmm. the 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 ability to put the admin back end on there and say you know, and then they would just send them to you know, come pick them up. Here you go, and then. Um, wow. And, you know, we lost a couple, is my understanding. You know, I'm on the technology committee for the school, so I, I'm privy to Wait, some of Brand's stuff. on the technology I committee? I know. Crazy, right? <laughs> um, and so, you know, I think, I, I think we lost a couple of them. But for the most part, uh, even going into the lockdown, we were, we were really fortunate that our, our little suburb was almost, you know, planned for this. That, you know, we had, we had mm-hmm. almost gone to a one-to-one Chromebook type situation. So the computers themselves weren't the problem. It was getting the internet access out to, to folks. Um, and so we had, I think we had to get a few more hotspots uh, mm. when we went into lockdown in order to do that. And now, you know, now we're, you know, we're basically, we've been doing masked, you know, schools for a while now, for a year, basically. So, um, so there's some, hopefully some tricks in there, some tips in there that you might be able to use. So, so trying to yeah. find hubs that people can gather in um safely you know depending on what your local restrictions are uh if you have the budget you know offer to be able to send folks hotspots um uh, either either free or for very low you know rental cost um and uh and look for, yeah just look for other op- other ways to try and get internet access into the hands of your attendees so I think those are really great. So I want to uh, like highlight some parts of, of what you've talked about. So let's start with the the hybrid aspect. I think that like you know for so long we're, you know we're having this big debate in the industry about like should you go hybrid or whatever it may be. You know this is the exact opportunity where hybrid makes so much sense. Doing the you know uh, you know hub and spoke model or what we call like endless planet and you know moon or planet and satellite model and you know we we really focusing on trying to bring people together in small groups can work really really effectively um, and I and I thought immediately public libraries I thought about all those rooms they have how many times I've gone to the public library and I'm like this is faster than my home internet you know so like I think there's a huge opportunity right there to partner and you know if your ch- chances are if you're targeting a lower income group of for your attendees you might also be able to talk tag in some additional groups that are there designed to help out too so maybe looking up like you know for example i'm in phoenix might search like phoenix low-income internet opportunities or something like that some of these people will be like oh, i'm totally down to get a part of this they might even help willing to to make it all happen for you so i think there's some huge opportunities on there as well um, and then the hotspot part, I think a lot of people then, you know, a lot of people listen to this podcast are a little bit more technical or want to know more about the technology side thing. So you might be thinking to yourself, oh, the hotspot idea, that's brilliant. But do you like, do you call Verizon and order a hundred hotspots from them? What does that look like? But no, you don't have to. So first of all, you don't have to go to Verizon and do all this stuff. And chances are Verizon's so big, they're probably gonna be like, pay us a bunch of money for these hotspots. But there's tons of event internet companies and rental hotspot companies that you can rent bulk amounts of hotspots and then sent them out again if you're doing lower income chances are they can do it as write-off or things like that 
Obviously, if you can budget for it, you're going to get a better experience, better support experience across the board. But, you know, go to those companies and say, like, hey, I need 100 hotspots to send out. Can we make this happen? And I think that's a really, really exciting thing as well. And then, you know, and and the cost associated with doing that, let's say, for example, you're doing a one-day, maybe a two-day event. Let's say you're doing a three-day conference. The bandwidth requirements for that aren't going to be massive. And I think one thing we should definitely talk about is optimizing your event for lower bandwidth. Maybe we can talk about it a little bit. But um, I think that you can get the bandwidth down really significantly where it doesn't take a ton. And I think that when it comes to events, you know, you, when you think about the total cost of doing this, the hotspot might cost you $40 maybe to rent for like three days. You know, maybe you can get it sponsored. But then also too, like you talk about the one thing I didn't even think about too is like, do they even have a computer? And if it's not that case, that's again where the library is helpful because you can just, they can put it up on TV screen inside of conference room or something like that. But also too, like you potentially could get by, by Chromebooks. Even use Chromebooks, I bet. I'm thinking, like, how do you get this as low a cost as possible? You could probably go on eBay and find, like, a school who's selling off their, like, last year's Chromebooks, which all you need to do is basically run a web player at that point. That's the most bandwidth-intensive thing. You could probably do that for, like, 100 bucks a pop, especially if you're buying in bulk. Then you hit up the eBay, eBay person and say, hey, this is for a nonprofit. we got to save some bunch of costs. Give me, you know, 80 Chromebooks for, you know, three grand. They might be willing to do it, you know. Um, so I think there's a bunch of different options out there that you have to be able to increase the accessibility for those with, low, with uh, you know, lower income towards the technology side of things for your events. Yeah, there's lots of lots of lots on uh, on eBay, so you can actually get a lot of a Ooh. lot of ten. You Google, uh, you, you searched it right now. Oh didn't yeah, you? <laughs> a lot of ten HP Chromebooks. Uh, you know, and they're not going to be you know the fastest. They're not going to be the most recent, but you know they they'll work because at their heart, Chromebooks are just browsers. So you know, a lot of ten HP Chromebooks, two hundred and fifty bucks. And, and and you only have to get it really for if you if you're giving it to them as like almost a rental, you can literally give it to them and expect it back. You then could potentially resell those laptops again, or maybe use it for the next event if you're doing this right. multiple times. Yeah. So like, or you know, let's say your let's say your event is all about increasing access to internet for low incomes. Like, imagine being like you get to attend this event and come to this thing, and then you give them a laptop afterwards. That might like change someone's literally life, the ability and the information they have to access that. Like, that's the hardest thing. Is like I just can't imagine. Like me, I grew up on the internet. Internet. Like I love my parents very much, but the internet probably raised me a little bit more. Um, <laughs> but you know, like having access to the internet is going to change someone's life in so many ways. And like, imagine if having access to all these awesome events that we're planning virtually in in a hybrid sense. Oh, so cool. All right. So I want to take now another step back. So so hopefully mm-hmm. we've we've given you know, at least some potential answers to Kayla and her specific question of, you know, how do we, how do we deal with this specific example of, uh, folks? And, and I mean, the short answer, unfortunately, is it's hard. It's, you know, it's, it's hard getting technology into the hands of those that need it. Uh, and that's a, that's a universal problem, mm-hmm. uh, with, uh, n- not just on event side, but, um, let's not now take one more step back and expand it to not just, uh, the specific example of low income, but just in general, that you know, so much of the last six months. I mean, it's actually it's hard to believe that it was actually a year ago. I think I was seeing that that Beeple sold that image for sixty nine oh, yeah, billion yeah. dollars or whatever it was, uh, you know, for for an NFT. But that that this rush to the metaverse, you know, that, that mm-hmm. we get you know, metaverse, metaverse, metaverse. Oh, by the way, metaverse. In case you hadn't heard, metaverse. Um, could be leaving people behind. And that's, that's where, once again, it's important 
to really know what you're trying to get out of the event and to know your stakeholders that, you know, while it's easy to get sucked into the flashy trashy of what's new and what's exciting, is that necessarily what your event needs and what happens with the people that are being left behind? Mm. And it's something that we saw vividly over this last two years is, you know, I saw in my local organizations, um, uh, you know, political organizations, uh, local charity organizations, things like that, people just disappeared over the course of the last couple of years because they didn't want to do it on Zoom. Mm. And, you know, so just being aware, I guess, is what I'm starting. And, you know, how do we let me ask you this, Will. So, so how do we move us fo- move forward as an industry when it comes to technology, but at the same time be aware and 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 provide for the folks that don't want to come with us for the ride? <laughs> yeah. I, well, I think the first thing that helps with this in a lot of ways is like, you know. The one reason I think a lot of people zoomed out in a lot of ways too is that they were they're just burnt out on it too, right? Like, I can see there's going to be people who are like, I'm never going to put a VR headset on, right? Like, m- m- like I can probably say my dad, for example, confidently, I think he's like in his mid 60s now, and he's like, he barely, he doesn't even want to be on. Like, I remember the first time I showed him Twitter, I was like, check out Twitter, you can get your news like instantaneously. In fact, the news is gives you getting the news from Twitter, you know. And he was just like, I'm never getting on a social network. He hasn't never been on one ever. And um, <laughs> I could see that if you told them, hey, you have to attend the new optometry conference and you have to do it in VR, he's going to be like, no, like I'm um, that's where I retire. I'm out, you know, when it comes to this. So um, I think first of is creating an, uh, a channel for communication, right? Like so many times as planners, we live in a silo of what we think our attendees expect. And, you know, if you don't have any sort of open lines of communication or it's like, it's a barrier where it's like a support email where you're like, oh my gosh, who's going to see this, right? You know, I think that can cause a lot of people to then, you know, disconnect from it and feel left out and just decide, no, I don't want to be a part of this. So I think first thing is open up those lines of communication. I think then the second thing I think about when it comes to this too is that when it comes to having people adopt technologies and things like that, there's no matter what it is, how easy it's going to be, whether it's a social network or a VR headset. You got to ease into it in a lot of ways, right? So, uh, you know, for example, I always, I, whenever it comes to adopting technologies, I think about the example someone gave me once of, of trying to implement Slack within an organization. And if, if anyone's listening to this has tried to implement Slack within their, their company or something similar, they've gone through this, right? And I'm sure we have a lot of techie people who are like, oh my gosh, I just tried to roll out this new XYZ app. The first thing they usually say is first thing you do is you start with like a small group of people, right? You cut, you get the people who are most like, heck yes, I want to be a part of this, right? And you develop up those advocates that are going to be a part of this and that will kind of be your champions in doing this. Start by doing that. Then slowly increase it by getting into the people who are most likely to adopt it, right? And it's almost like that diffusion of innovation curve that you see. You got to follow that in a lot of ways. Because the next thing that's going to eventually happen is you're eventually going to get to those like laggards like my dad who definitely is never going to be on social media. And if at that point you've gotten the early adopters who helped then carry in the early majority, who then helped train and helped out the late majority, who then you know, overwhelming odds are going against the laggards, they, you have a team to be able to help support you and encourage you. But I think a lot of times when we're implementing technology – I'm definitely guilty of this is I find something and I'm always early adopter, um, sometimes like 
uh, what's the early adopter before that? Like the basically like you're a futurist. I think at that point, if you're if you're, you're in that stage of the a, squir- a squirrely adopter, a squirrely adopter. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, if you if you if you just go in and then you try to get the laggards in immediately and you don't have a big base of people to help out, it's gonna re- they're gonna reject right. It's gonna it's it's too much. They're not gonna like it and they're gonna say heck no. But if you get that late majority involved. Sometimes the late majority will be the ones who sell the laggards because they're most closely associated with it in terms of their adoption. So I like to think about like how can you slowly integrate it? And I think that's one reason why like also when it comes to VR right now and the metaverse is that, you know, it's probably still an early majority if not maybe early adopters still kind of time. And you're trying to convince my dad to do VR when he hasn't, doesn't even know anyone who uses VR right now. And if I try to convince him to do it, he's going to reject it. And that's also the worst thing you want to do is get to the point where they reject it so hard that they never come back. It's easy when they're like, no, not at first. And then they ease into it. But you know, you don't want to completely isolate them in a lot of ways. So um, I don't know if that necessarily answers your question in, in, a, in, a, in a way, but it does, I think it it's, does. It helps, I think, people frame it in terms of technology in general, right? Yeah, and you bring up some great, great points on on how to implement technology effectively. Um, you know, I love this idea of of starting small. You know, it's 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 hard with events where you only have one annual event in your organization. Ooh, yeah, yeah. It's hard to experiment with things, but maybe look for opportunities within that event to have like a breakout session that's in VR or something along those lines where you can start to try that. But if you're in the position where you've got multiple events over the course of a year, maybe again, you try to have one of those be let's meet in the metaverse and it's, but it's not required. It's not, you know, it's, it's, then it's like those who are into it and enthusiastic about it can, can go do it. And those that are like, you know, they're, they're not, they don't have to, they're not forced to do it because it's the only time, you know, they get to interact or do education sessions or along those. And then, yeah, hopefully if you've got a good reason for implementing this, people are going to be like, oh yes, this is amazing. We got to get the rest of the folks on board. And then you do it a little bit bigger the next time, those kinds of things, as opposed to just leaping in with both feet. It reminded me of in again kind of event app era right where initially there was a lot of resistance and you can have my binder for my cold dead hands and that whole nine (laughs) yards but there were a few events that went all in right away they're like we're having an app we're having no paper we're having no printed materials we're going to save a boat ton of of money on printed materials that'll go towards the app we're going to be environmentally friendly because we have no you know printed materials and what's interesting to me is over the course of the last few years so just you know leading 2019 you know leading into 20 before everything shut down and then now again now that things are opening up i'm starting to see limited quantities of those printed papers reappear mm. and I find that really useful. As techie as I am, sometimes it's just easier to reach into your pocket and grab a piece of yeah, paper little, that's got the schedule on it. You know, yeah. I just want to glance at it. I just want to be, you know, or or where they print the schedule on the back of the name badge or something mm-hmm. along those lines. We're seeing some of that just creep back in because I think people learned going all in on a technology 
isn't always the best plan. Like, you know, mm-hmm. having something for the, the extreme laggards, uh, you know, or even just discovering, you know what, actually, I was all in at the beginning, but yeah, it's kind of nice to have the schedule on a piece of, piece of paper or something along mm-hmm. those lines. Discovering some of the pitfalls of the technology as well. That's a good point. That's a good point. You know, to go back to your, your last point too about like how do you implement this if you have one shot to do it, right? One single conference. This is my chance to, to, to speak as Kyle for a second and promote community, right? Like this is again why the community model of events and the idea of like not just doing one big event and then that's it but having the lead up towards it is even more valuable, right? Imagine that you could slowly tease out this new polling feature to your audience or your, you know, a uh, new technology to your audience. But imagine if you could, you know, start doing a small five-person session in the metaverse and then going to 10 people and getting a chance to do that. So then that by the time your big annual keynote big event comes around, you've had a chance to kind of experiment with it. But also too, Again, that diffusion of innovation, you've started to build an audience leading up to it as it's coming around. So like community, again, just makes a lot of sense, I think, when it comes to this as well. But I actually really love your idea that, oh, I don't have the ability to community. Well, yeah, year by year. But again, you have a year in between each of those, right? For this year, it could have been, oh, we're going to do the Oculus Quest. And then the next year, it's the, you know, the Apple, you know, hologram thing of a Bob. I don't know. What do you think they're going to call it? The Apple Space Vision uh, there was a leak on what they thought it was going to be called. It's like Vision. Yeah, uh, Apple Vision sounds about yeah. right. So, yeah, so we'll call it Apple yeah. Vision. Because so I think they know, found Vision OS, and so since it's iOS, uh, TV OS, Mac OS, Vision, Vision OS, OS. That makes probably sense. probably going to be called Vision is what I'm. What some people are speculating. So. You know, like each year you have between your conferences, though, technology is going to change so much in between it. You also have to just be careful, too, that like sometimes it might lead to you sometimes falling behind in a lot of ways, too, because you have to constantly stay on. And shout outs to you for listening to this podcast, because that's probably why you're listening to this to stay on top of everything. But, you know, it's it's even hard for Brant and I to stay on top of things sometimes, too. So, you know, like I just learned a ton about crypto over the last like three weeks or so. And, you know, so I think that. You know, the more that you can slowly ease into it, but not give such big gaps can also allow you to ease into it as well. Um, and then, like you said, be prepared, though, that there's – no, your audience, that there's always going to be, like, people who are totally out. And if you, it's so important that you do metaverse, like, I don't know, let's say, for example, you, uh, you're, you're a startup company in the metaverse space or something like that. You're in crypto, whatever the heck it is, right? Then it makes sense to be like, I got to leave people behind because this is not our audience anymore. But don't be the person who doesn't know their audience and then leaves people behind just in the sake of increasing technology. Yeah. That should I be mean, like a, a, a quote in our show, by the way. Uh, tech, event Tech Podcast, where we tell you that technology is not always the solution. Right? <laughs> it's, 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 it is true. We do, we do have a tendency to say that an awful lot, uh, that, that <laughs> technology is not always your friend and that you need to back your way into your technology choices, starting from knowing your stakeholders, goals and objectives, blah, 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 all of that kind of stuff. And then work your way into technology. So yeah, somebody uh, was asking me, one of my students was asking me about choosing a platform. And basically it was, what are the features I should, how did she phrase it? It was basically, what are the features I should tell my stakeholders to look for? And I was like, no, 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 no. It's the other way around. We want to find out what they are trying to do. What are yeah. they, what are you trying to do? Not necessarily the features, you know, that they want, but but what are you trying to do? What are their goals and objectives? And then we try and find the features and functionality to match that. Not not tell them 
100%. what features they need to be looking for and what features they need to use. So, so all of this, you know, whether we're talking about uh, you know, an event that's that's geared specifically towards low-income people who might not have easy access. You know, there's other places that might not have easy access. Rural areas often not have, mm-hmm. don't have, you know, good quality access. That's starting to change with things like Starlink. We've had extended conversations mm-hmm. in the past about Starlink uh, satellite uh, links. Those are being, those are helping out in the war in Ukraine right now. Um, you know, being able to get uh, internet access to places that have been otherwise cut off. So, there's ways, uh, but you know you have to you go into it with eyes open and and know what you're getting into, and then to the point that we were just making, you know, make your technology choices intentional, uh, you know, make them stem from the goals and objectives of the event and what the stakeholders are trying to get out, what their goals and objectives are. And then, you know, back your way into the technology. And if you're going to do that, do it daintily and, and work your way into it is kind of how, <laughs> how it sort of gets summarized, it sounds like. Totally. And, and and don't hesitate to talk to your technology providers and stuff, too, to say, like, once you know your 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 stakeholders and what they're trying to achieve, talk through it a little bit more because, you know, there's always solutions to a lot of these things. Like, I, I teased it a little bit earlier, but, like, for example, if you have uh, attendees with lower internet speeds, like, don't pump out a 4K live stream. Do it in 720p or do audio only or, you know, make, you know, don't, you know, there's so many more options, right? Like, oh, they don't have the fastest computer. So maybe like a a, a metaverse kind of style project isn't going to work, right? So talk to your, talk to them about this sort of thing and talk to them before you sign the contract too, because, you know, the worst thing you want to do is, oh, I got the latest software and, oh my God, this is so exciting. And, oh, just so you know that it has this requirement and now you just kind of like pigeonhole your attendees in a bad space. So definitely something to think about. And then you probably just need to be strategic and realistic at some point that as you're implementing new technology, you have to decide, is this going to overall benefit and bring in, like in a, you're thinking of an association or something like that, is this going to be bringing in new members more than the few that we might lose, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you might have to do some unfortunate math, right? Some more, mm-hmm. some equations that you don't want to have to do, but you know, you still have to factor those things in that, you know, there may be a certain number of people that you may have to leave behind in order to move forward. Like you said, you know, your dad might just retire if, you know, <laughs> if the optometry association is like, no, we're all online. We're all VR this year. Okay. That's oh. it. Mic drop. I'm out. You know, it's, but that, that might be, what it takes to move that organization forward and to keep mm-hmm. membership coming in and to keep the organization afloat is to lose a few folks uh, along the way, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, it's, it's so many times that I've seen in associations that either I've participated in or helped plan for that they, they, they cater sometimes also to the lowest common denominator too. And that sometimes can hurt you way more, right? Like the decision that's those people who decide that we're not going virtual during the pandemic at all. We're all just waiting for in-person and I don't think many of those are around very much longer, but I will say my dad really loves virtual because he gets to watch, go all the conferences at home and be in his boxers, you know, and he's like, I don't have to hop on a plane. I have to go to Vegas anymore. Thank God. <laughs> and, and he's not alone. And it's something that we, we need to keep in mind as an industry is, you know, and I've, I've been talking about this for two years, that there's going to be, as we come out of this thing, it's not just going to snap back and go back to the way that it was in any way, shape, or form. There's going to be a long tail of people not being able to go for various reasons. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to be an even a forever changed aspect of 
people deciding whether or not that's event worthy. You know, mm. is is the, is that is what you're asking me to do worth it? It's just like the same conversations that are happening right now in in workplaces and the Great Resignation and all of that. It's all surrounding this. Is it worth it to me to get on a plane, fly to Orlando, be there for three days, you know, be out of the office for three days, then come back and I'm tired and I'm sick, so I'm out of the office for another day, you know, all of that. And taking the pandemic off the table, I think people are, are, going, to be, are going to be more conscious about where, where and when they choose to go to events. And events are going to have to deliver, I think, a higher ROI moving forward of like really making it worth it mm-hmm. for the attendee to to justify you no know, not just the the hugs and I miss people but really making it worth their while to uh, to attend your event. Yeah, because definitely the industry or the, I think the world as a whole is kind of in that like oh I just want a hug I want to see these people's faces but in a year from now once they've seen their faces they got those connections again are they going to decide it's still worth it? Uh, I my the analogy is is this the events industry is experiencing its this could have been an email kind of moment right now that exactly. people are deciding whether, Hey, this could have been virtual or this could have been a pre-recorded video or something like that. Um, or, you know, I could have left, been out of this. Right. So I think that moment is definitely happening now. Yeah. I just, even, even, you know, I'm just thinking like literally this week we had a, uh, one of my kids sports activities. We had to go for a parent meeting and yeah, it was nice to meet the coach. It was nice to see the other parents, but I was just like, I did not have to be here. For this. <laughs> this could this could have easily been a Zoom call or or it was in an email because the coach summarized exactly what we talked about the next day in an email to everybody <laughs> that wasn't there. So it's like okay, yeah, you know. Well, so it's it's going to be a balance. It's going to be a balance, and it's going to be also going to then be a balance on the corporate side of and on well, not just corporate but all large organizations of like they saw the value in digital. And saw how many more people they were able to reach for less money uh, than what they're going to have to spend on on in-person events. And that they're not going to just forget that uh, mm-hmm. going forward. Like, well, okay, that was fun and we saved a bunch of money. So let's just go back to what we were doing before. That, that's yeah. not going to happen. No. 100%. 100%. And then to bring it full circle then is to then also think about your attendees who then might be excluded by being virtual too. And I think that's one reason why I love this question from Kayla so much was that, you know, we're sitting here like, go hard, 4K quality, cinematic. And then I'm, and I like, I just basically left an entire potential audience on completely like left in the dust. And that, that, that's not the way we should do things, especially as we're trying to create truly diverse and inclusive events. Moving forward. And, and that's one, one of the things that's always going to stick with me is I was, I was talking with uh, Matthew Shapiro, who is a consultant for accessibility in events. And he said that, you know, when lockdowns went into place, it was kind of weird because for the first time, a lot of people with disabilities found themselves, you know, basically on equal standing with, with everyone else. Like they could, mm-hmm. they, could visit, they could go to the show from their house. And especially people with mobility issues. Um, you know, if you just go back to what you were doing before, after they've had two years of being able to come to your conference easily and attend and, you know, uh, uh, you know, have, have their own transcription and captioning and all of that kind of stuff, and we just go back to what we were doing before, you're leaving all of those people behind and saying, we're so glad you got to participate for the last two years, but, you know, thanks, thanks for playing. See ya. Oh, yeah, that's the worst. That's absolutely the worst. 
Got anything else that you want to add in, Brent? Let's not do that. Let's definitely <laughs> not do that. That's, that's, that's how I'd like to leave it, is that we should. Yeah, we should absolutely be trying to reach, by, by knowing your audience, by knowing your stakeholders, by knowing what your goals and objectives are, what their goals and objectives are, you know, really using technology to reach them where they're at, um, finding ways, you know, to, to bring more people into the conversation instead of less. Um, that's how we try and avoid leaving people along the wayside as we rush our way to the metaverse. So true. So true. Well, I want to say thank you so much to Kayla Walker for sending in your question Yay. and uh, letting us know. Um, if you if you ever have a question that you want Brand and I to answer, shoot us an email, eventtechpodcast at helloendless.com. You know that we love getting your questions all day long. And we, we love to read from, you know, every single email that comes in, even the one. ones that want me to refinance You know the vehicle you know, they for want... <laughs> Tech podcasts, car warranty. They want you to um, check your warranty. <laughs> yeah, they, you know, they, they, they want to uh, offer us uh, free content for the website. Uh, we, we read all of them, but we would love, which is why we would love more emails from actual listeners uh, so that we can answer questions like these. I mean, if, you, if, you, if you're listening to this right now and you want to offer us an extended warranty on our cards, like, you're awesome. We'll read we'll, it. We'll, we'll, we'll read yeah, it. we'll read it. For sure. <laughs> and we'll talk about car warranties on the next episode. Well, Brant, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to get to talk to you and so many great insights and got my brain churning in so many different ways. Amen, brother. All right. Well, let's get out of here. We'll see you all. Thank you, audience. You guys are awesome. We couldn't, can't do this without you. We love you very much. So send us emails, lots of love on socials, and you know, make sure that you don't miss the next episode. And we will see you next time on... The Event Tech Podcast. Thanks again for listening to the Event Tech Podcast. Be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcasting app. Also be sure to head to eventtechpodcast.com and leave us a comment about this week's episode. Ask a follow-up question or let us know about some event tech we need to talk about. We'll see you next week on the Event Tech Podcast.